Good morning, everybody. Let's bow our heads to pray before we get into the sermon. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you've given each of us. Thank you for your bringing us together in all kind of different ways across all kind of different platforms as your body. Thank you for promising our ultimate salvation and promising that you provide for us day by day. And we just pray that your spirit would be with each of us as we go about our days, as we listen to your message here, that you would quicken to us that message that we need to work on in our lives and uh, that you would just help us to submit to your will and submit to that relationship that you have with us. So thank you again for who you are. Thank you for your son. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right. Last sermon of the month on the topic of investing in our personal relationship with our God. So, I want to start out with some questions for you. How often do you cry or become emotional during prayer? However that may look for you. Looks a little bit different for everybody. But how often do you cry or become emotional during your communication with your God? How often do you feel strongly convicted during prayer? How often do you come out of prayer strengthened and emboldened to do what you're called to do? All these things are indicators of what kind of relationship that we have with our God, whether we experience these things, especially in times when we're struggling, when we have something real to pray about that we're coming before our God in this expressive relationship, and we want to invest in Him and look to Him uh, to be the God that He promises that He will be for us personally. All those questions, all the answers for those questions, they all come from having an expressive and vulnerable quality to our communication. A brick wall may be strong and may support a lot of weight, but a spring can be flexed and compressed. It can store a lot of energy and release that energy. It can appear to collapse and flex back and forth, but in reality it holds the most power in that state when it's being flexed. Do you want to give God the brick wall treatment, or do you want to invite God to flex and stretch you and invest in that way? Working on expression and vulnerability before God will help us better work for Him. Vulnerable expression is a a posture of intent before our God. We are positioning and preparing to serve Him as a whole person, not just giving Him what we want to show and what makes us feel comfortable, what makes us feel safe, quote-unquote, but giving our whole person to Him and asking Him to provide what He said He wants to provide for us. Real investment in God requires us to be real. So, 
Be real with God, with expression and vulnerability, in prayer and praise and repentance, as we've talked about. Like we saw from a Pharisee, as Jesus compares him to a notorious sinner, saying, I thank you for how good you've made me, God, is not a real communication with him. It's not honest. So what else isn't real? Maybe in what you claim that you need, you know, do you really need more money? Do you really need this? Do you really need that? Or do you need help more realistically? Do you need more help with your faith and your feelings of insecurity? Those things that God has given us direct solutions for. He's called us to be those things, whereas we don't know what his plan is for our details. We don't know what his plan is for how he's going to provide. But we know that that's the fruit of what it looks like. That's what people can see as different about his people and ask you, where does your hope come from? Like usual, these communications, these prayers, this relationship with God, it's not really about you. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about him. Regardless of what you pray for, prayer is not for ourselves and our experience, but for God. Giving him what's real and sharing and coming before him humble and naked as a real person, how we are created to be. Giving him the sacrifice of a real investment in our relationship. So we need to honor the fact that God has chosen to have an intimate relationship with us. We need to own that this should have a personal and authentic quality to it. And that we should seek to have a holistic and expressive relationship with our Father in Heaven. We often refer to God as Father. The Jews didn't use this real often or see God like this stereotypically. They weren't super comfortable with that type of relationship. They were used to a corporate relationship, right? One facilitated by the law on a national level. One based on works at face value. So we see very few uses of father, the word father, in the Old Testament in reference to God. Only 15 times or so. And several of those are said by God himself. In the giant Old Testament, that's like, you know, this much of your Bible in the New Testament is like that much at the end. They didn't, even the Jews, they didn't even like to use God's name in its entirety because it's too holy to utter. Flash forward to Jesus, though. Father is used 55 times in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A hundred plus times in the more personal Gospel of John. As time passed, Christians started to better understand their relationship with God. An understanding that was led, of course, by Christ himself. Matthew 7, God portrayed, uh, God is portrayed as Father and we are portrayed as his children, uh, with God as a good provider. Verse 9 of Matthew 7 says, You parents, if, you children, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And then in John 20, verse 17 Jesus says, Don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and 
to your God. We see very clearly that Jesus is telling us that God is our Father. It's, in fact, the same relationship that Jesus had with his Father. And that was a very close relationship. In the Lord's Prayer, from uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus said, This is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. Boom, that's how it starts out. This is an uncommon teaching in the Bible to this point. But Jesus teaches us to call God Father, personally and directly, when we communicate with him. We have the guidance to call God Father. Not that we're just permitted to call him Father, but even that we are instructed to call him Father. That was how Jesus said to pray. Come to him in this way. Father, may your name be kept holy. Father isn't just a title for God. This is a relationship designator. Okay? It tells us God's desire for an intimate relationship with us, whom he calls his children, in multiple, multiple places. There are lots of other distinct and yet still intimate relationships that God develops, going beyond Father into different categories of intimate, distinct categories. Uh, let's just check out a few super quick. Uh, Hagar, calling God the God who hears me and the God who sees me in her distress. Abraham, calling uh, God calling him a friend of God. The Psalms, uh, they all testify to a personal and very expressive relationship with God. One that reveals all kinds of emotions, right? It's a a great book to look to to inspire your relationship with God and how you may be able to explore that more fully. And those things even took place during the system of the law, for the most part, where it was mostly a corporate relationship with God, where there were sacrifices and works and all these things. We are at a place that's far beyond that, and yet even in the Old Testament we see lots, lots of intimate investment in their God, and God in them, obviously. They all, all those things testify to a personal and expressive relationship with God. And it's all capped with testimony from Jesus. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you're my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. Jesus, we see him throughout the entire Gospels loving his apostles and people testifying to that love to their death. Everyone, including the future church. Uh, but also, we see special, unique relationship in that. David, um, you know, the man after God's own heart, we see a special, unique relationship with him there. And then in the New Testament, uh, and there's lots of special, unique relationships that we see, lots of them with the prophets, lots of them with kings, you know, people of... Uh, important positions that God has chosen uh, and were important enough to write about. Certainly there are a bunch of regular people that God had a relationship with too. But um, David, the man after God's own heart, as he's called, or Jesus' inner circle of disciples that he gave special attention to, Peter and James and John, who were with Jesus during all the most important happenings and teachings that they went through together for a few years there. And within that circle, even John the Beloved, you know, the apostle that Jesus loved, as he's referred to in the Gospel of John over and over again. 
God wants to have special and unique relationships with each of us. And we are supposed to reciprocate that sentiment and to give back to him, invest him in him in that way. Not just for our benefit, though it will benefit us greatly, but to give glory and honor to the God that has loved us to his death. And lastly, just that parallel that representation legally and relationally and all those things that Jesus is the new Adam. God walked with Adam in the garden as God intended in our creation in intimate fellowship and communication before everything went awry. Jesus is bringing back that status for us, that opportunity for us, that clear intent of God that he wants that relationship with us regardless of our sin and that he's provided for us in that way. He wants that intimacy back. Over and over again, he pleads with Israel to stop being adulterous and to come back to him in that intimate, loving relationship that he wants. This is no different for us. Continuing that verse in John chapter 15, I'll start at 15 again. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. We're all chosen by God, specifically, is what scripture teaches. We are chosen for that special unique and intimate relationship. In Romans chapter 9, verse 24, Romans 9, 24, we see, and we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who were not my people, I now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. God's repairing those relationships and bringing those people to him. We are among those people. God took the first several steps in setting up a personal relationship with us uh, with incredible personal intimacy and consistency across time and space, across all kinds of obstacles. So should we give God the cold shoulder? No. No, we shouldn't. We must treat God like the person that he is with the characteristics of a conversation, a conversation with somebody who cares, who wants our investment, who wants to invest in us and has invested greatly, shed blood for us, literally. In a conversation, do you normally say the person's name 75 times? Let's just bring out some representative details that might indicate what kind of relationship we have with our God. When we talk to, you know, a normal flesh and blood person, do we say their name 75 times like sometimes we tend to do in prayer? No. Ask yourself why that is, if that's something that you do, or you know somebody that does that, or your kid, or something like that. Do you pray like that? Does that make, does that equate to intimacy in your mind? Saying God's name 75 times in a couple different ways. You know, Lord, God, Father, Jesus, you know, every six words in your prayer or whatever it is. 
That's something that could be honed, could be intentful. It's not that there's nothing there necessarily, but it needs to be intentfully thought of and rehoned to mean something. The names of God do have a lot of meaning, but be honest and look at your expression to God. Is it just filled with filler? Jesus says in Matthew 6, chapter 7, sorry, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Do not be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. These prayers, at the end of the day, they're not so much for function, they're for relationship. Right? God knows exactly what we need. He knows how to give it to us. He doesn't need reminders. We're told that we can and should pray consistently for something or someone, but mindless, repetitive phrases are not the same thing. You know, cereal box prayers or whatever, or those that you might find in the Roman Catholic tradition or even possibly Greek Orthodox and, and things like that that are more on that traditional side. Um, this is akin to using rituals in prayer, if your mind is not active in that, if you're just saying the same thing over and over again, saying, you know, however many 25 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers that are in the rosary. These things put you to sleep. They don't engage your intimate mind with your Father in heaven. So what types of things are going on in your prayers that are akin to using rituals? Are you, is it, you know, it's trying like to compel the gods to respond like the pagans do, is what Jesus says in Matthew 6. We should share our feelings with God instead, about Him, about life, about our relationship with Him, about other people that we're praying for. This is what makes quality conversation between two people, does it not? Sharing your, not just the facts of the situation, but your feelings about the situation, where you're coming from, your, what you want to invest in, what you're insecure about, all of these things. We should share our feelings with God. This is what makes that quality relational investment. In God, How insulting it must be to God when we treat him as a machine, when we present him with all the facts, when we pray almost the same prayer verbatim every night because we're trying to do right by, you know, praying for a certain person, or if we're a kid, you know, praying for our mom and dad or, or grandma or whatever it is that's going on. We need to teach ourselves and our children to pray in a dynamic and intimate way with God. Not something that's just over and over and over again, repetition with the thin veil of intimacy. Trying to Harry Potter God with our prayer sorcery. Instead, we should invest in him like a real person with real content behind our communication and intent. How about another small example? Do we know why we say, in Jesus' name, or amen, at the end of a prayer? Many people do. Many people don't. Amen, for example, means truth 
or certainty, or it's used as an expression of agreement, like, yes, I agree with that prayer. In a group prayer, that makes total sense. So, why do so many people say it to end a personal prayer? You're praying one-on-one -on -one with God, and, and you say, I agree at the end. Why is that? I think that it's possible for that to make sense to you. I think it's possible for you to reconcile that. Um, but if I had to bet, I would bet that most people haven't given that a lot of thought. And so what does that word mean? It's just a ritual ending for your prayer. I don't know. How much value does that bring? What does that say about how involved you are in your prayer life, in your communication, in your investment in your God? I bet it's a simple habit for most, including me, if I'm being honest. I do think about it, but it is a habit. Like, it's even hard not to say amen after you say, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> you know? It's like, it's like a dead space where it feels like an empty vacuum. You know, blah, 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 thank you, thank you, pray for this, pray for that. In Jesus' name. Well, I can't stop my prayer there. I, like, have to say amen, right? That's how I feel inside. But why? It's just habit. That's not intent. That's not intimate prayer. And maybe that's not the most harmful thing. But I think that that type of thing is an indicator of where we may be at in our intimate relationship with God, in having content in our prayer life, in knowing exactly what we're saying. We give consequences to our kids when they say things that they don't understand. I imagine that God probably feels the same way. So we should know what we're saying to God or find something else authentic to say. I'm a big believer in that. If what you're going to say isn't authentic, then you shouldn't say it. Don't fake it till you make it. That's for salesmen. Giving an intimate, engaging and thoughtful investment to our Father is where we should be at. Intimacy, intimacy doesn't just come with sharing squishy feelings, though. Right? It's not just, you know, vomiting your feelings and insecurity and all these things. Intimacy has a much more broad range than that. In the Lord's Prayer, immediately following Father is, May your name be kept holy. Pray like this. Father, may your name be kept holy. Why is that there? Right on the back of Father. I think it's partially a guard against sentimentalism, against the phenomenon of Buddy Christ, about you know, God being a helicopter or a snowplow parent. These things are not qualities of our Father, the Lord of Heaven's armies. That's not who He is. We should also have an enormous respect for our Father, embedded in that intimacy. Focused on bringing glory and honor to the one who is actually worthy of it. Fusing intimacy with utmost respect. Consider intentfully using your orientation in this, like how your body is positioned. Not as a habit, but 
as a huge part of communication, just recognizing that reality of how we live as people. It's part of our communication. Body, body language is a huge part of a message that you give from one person to another. And why should that be different with God? Being intentful in that. The, uh, we see a lot of times that Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven, the scripture says, when he prays. Is that the equivalent of eye contact with his Father in heaven? I would bet that it is. I don't know. Scripture doesn't specifically outline that. But what I know is that it's intentful, that it happens as a pattern. So what does your body language communicate? What is your intentful use of your body in your intimate relationship with your God? Do you bow your head? Do you kneel? Do you lie face down or even wear particular clothes like the Jews used to do when they're in different states of mind, in different states of prayer or highlighting different parts of their relationship with him? These things can all be useful for us too. All these things are meaningful. They may mean something slightly different from person to person, but is it authentic? Is it intentful? Is it meaningful in your relationship? These are the things that matter in our freedom in Christ, wanting an intimate relationship with our Father in heaven. This is, yeah, a question that we need to ask. What is sending a natural, holistic message to God? Think about what makes sense for how you're choosing to invest in God in your current prayer. <clears throat> this is uh, weird for us, but it's authentic, this whole like posturing thing. If we had a king or even a different culture with more respect, like maybe an Eastern culture, uh, these postures would be normal. But wait, we do have a king. Christ is king. He's a king above all kings, in fact, and we should own this in our intimate expression to God. We should own that side to our intimate relationship with him. God is to be feared, but also loved. God is to be feared, but also loved. Should there be a but in the center of that sentence? Are they opposites? No, in fact, they work together in our dynamic relationship. Fear and love. It's where the strength of our relationship comes with him. It's something that we should really appreciate and understand and use in our intimate expression with him, with God. God has built a crazy, secure relationship for us through Christ. We're assured of our safety because of this fear. We know that our God is holy and powerful and that he should be revered and that he's done all of these things across time. That's one of the reasons why he set so many things up to remember those epic events like bringing his people Israel out of slavery across the sea on dry land and crashing it down onto the people trying to pursue them, to re-enslave them. Fear of our Father is necessary and positive. Psalm 9-7 says, But the Lord reigns forever, executing judgment from his throne. He will be, 
He will judge the world with justice and rule the nations with fairness. The Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. We're assured of our safety because of this fear, because of the strength of our God. We don't want to be on the wrong end of that anger, of that strength. So we should make good choices and have that relationship with God through Christ. But nevertheless, that is who our God is. Holiness, fear, and also safety is found in the same breadth in that Psalm 9. We can be fully trusting and expressive in our relationship with God. He's not like an abusive parent. He's not like an abusive parent who uses his strength and his power to inspire fear. He doesn't use those things for evil, but for good and for justice. Because of that, we know that we have nothing to hide because of the God who we are. Even if we wanted to try to hide from his strength and his power, we know that we can't because he's infinite and powerful and all-knowing and all of these things. There's nothing possible to hide, so we can be free, fully free in our expression with him, like with no one else, if we don't have the strength to do that with our brothers and sisters. In praise and repentance, with intimacy, we can be fully free in our expression, knowing that there is nothing to hide, and that our God is strong, and that he will protect us. He will protect our intimacy, and we've seen him do that time and time again, that he honors those things, like with all the psalmists. Should all these good qualities of our relationship with God be kept private, though? Is that something that's just between me and God? You know, we go into my closet, we have a good powwow, we have a good cry, we have a good strengthening, and then we move on? No. No way. It's not just for being private. Our intimate relationship with God is so much more than that. John 17, verse 23, Jesus prays, May they, the believers, Experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Our intimate relationship with God is to inspire unity and love between us. God's relationship is an example, always, for how we are to be with each other. It's a visible love. Our love is to be a visible love, observable to the watching world, our intimate, loving relationship with our God. 1 Peter 3, 3, 3.15 says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about the hope that you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain your hope. There should be outward expression into the physical world and our lives, of our relationship with God, of the qualities of relationship, the fruit of that secure, intimate relationship that we have. 
We use memorials and symbols of expression to remember and show it. We have these things built into our system, largely by God's own direction. Baptism and communion and your own traditions that you may have come up with. Everything we do is an expression of our worldview, a result of us being disciples of Jesus Christ and how that works out in the physical world here. All these are a testimony to the Father's relationship with Jesus and our relationship with them. Do you take these forms of expression seriously? Does your intimate expression in your relationship leak out at all, or hopefully intentfully be expressed outward in a visible way? Have you been baptized? Does that hold a sacred place in your intimate relationship with God, or is it a fuzzy event somewhere in the past? If you haven't been baptized, why not? What are you waiting for? It's an intimate expression of your relationship with God. It's going to be a case-by-case basis, but the question you need to ask, if you haven't been baptized and you're hearing this sermon, why not? This is your public commitment, public intimate commitment of relationship with your God, your Father in heaven. Ask the questions. Do you have family traditions? What about with God? Do you have traditions with God? Our intimate relationship with God should be visible, should have an outworking, at least to those who look for it, at the very least, those that take the time of day to ask a question of our lives. We can use our freedom to express how important God is instead of expressing how important we are. Authentically, this can look like distinct traditions that work to remember the intimate relationship that you have with God. Beyond remembering God, we are to live for Him every day, right? Living holy lives, being changed, being renewed in our mind and our heart, and allowing that to bear fruit with good deeds, proving that our faith is real. This is another form of expression, and possibly the most legit form, because it represents what's underneath, right? We should do things for God in God's name, as his representative, or understand that this is already the case. If we claim God, if anybody knows that whatsoever, everything that we do is in his name, is representing him because that is the nature of our relationship. In the Lord's Prayer, may your name be kept holy isn't directed just at the vague general world. It includes the person praying. Jesus says we should ask God to help us keep his name holy as part of our relationship with him. Luther Martin Luther has this commentary in his small catechism. It goes like this, his little paragraph here. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we, as the children of God, also lead holy lives according to it. Help us do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. 
Living sinfully is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's taking that intimate relationship and turning it back on him. But living properly is expressing the holiness of God. Is doing right by that intimate relationship, representing him properly. We act in his name whether we know it or not. You want a better relationship with your Father in heaven? And carry his banner well. That will do wonders for your intimate relationship with him. But, like most other things, they feed on each other. An intimate, quality, communicative relationship in prayer is going to feed into how that outworks in your life, and vice versa. Represent God. Be his accurate image in the world and talk to him in these terms. And do that intimately or uh, intentfully. You know, when you're praying about things, come to God and say, I want to do right by you in this. Give me wisdom. Give me opportunity. Give me these things so that I can hold your banner high and make it be an accurate reflection of our relationship, of the hope that I have of the relationship that you have, Father, with Jesus. I have a story from pretty far back in the day. I don't know, 12 years ago or something. I was thanking Josh for something or other, I think back at the movie theater. And you know what he said when I thanked him? He said, if you really want to express your thanks, then help me. Really simple, profound. If you really want to express your thanks, then help me. He told me to show it, to show that I was thankful, to allow our relationship to be expressed in works, intentfully. He told me to show it by doing some work. A living sacrifice has the sweetest aroma to God. It's our most meaningful investment in God. It carries our relationship with him to fruition in a way that is a witness to the rest of the world of what their relationship could be with God, of what he wants his relationship to be with them. And that is the key. We want to give all of ourselves to God to be holistically invested in him in a way that goes top to bottom, inside to outside. To be holistically invested in prayer, with praise and repentance and intimate expression. Seeing God as our Holy Father, treating him as the, as the person that he is, not a machine. And letting that relationship saturate our lives. These are a good start to having a better investment from us to God in our personal relationship with him. So let's ask some final questions for the month and get to talking about it. In what ways do you act as if God is really your father? In what ways do you act as if God is really your father? And what are you holding back? What are you holding back from that? father-child relationship 
in terms of an authentic expression of that. How is your communication with God mindless or repetitive? How do you tend to treat him like a machine in your personal relation, relationship with God? How is your communication with God mindless or repetitive? How do you tend to treat him like a machine? could be lots of different things. We can be very mechanical as people. And then, how can you better intently dedicate your life to express your relationship with God? Not just, not just what can I do differently in terms of how can I act better, how can I sin less, but how can you better intently dedicate your life to God to express your relationship with him? Is his banner recognizable? How do you tout that banner? Okay. Let's go to cell groups. <laughs>